who knew I would make it this far, they hated, they never believed me. Yeah, I would never drop the ball, I know I make it look easy. Yeah, Mayweather with the defense. I don't care what a critic got to say, I got him picking up the pieces. Are we getting this on camera? Bro, I'm gonna let you guys know something. I'm hanging out, I'm hanging out with, with, my, with my friends who are all millionaires, but this one in particular has to be one of the, and you are frugal too. You are extremely Not frugal. Not millionaire. Easily, okay, <laughs> millionaires. Easily the most frugal person. Let me explain to you how frugal Charlie is. Can I tell the story? Sure. Okay, sure. We're, we're at Chipotle. <laughs> we're at Chipotle, great establishment by the way, not an affiliate or a sponsor. Um, and Charlie was getting ready to order, looked up at the menu like we all do, saw that the guacamole was over $3, gave out a, whew, not happening today, I'll pass on the guacamole. This man right here wouldn't dare spend $3.50 on avocado when he can go get six hash avocados from Albertsons and bring them back home. That's the type of friend Charlie Chang is. What is the most craziest like purchase that you guys have given thought to? Like, you know, money is not as much of a problem anymore. I know we're all trying to make bigger bags. I, I want to start off with you, Jake, because I know you. You're a little flashier than most. <laughs> I'm not flashy. Oh, what the way? We aren't Whoa. flashy. <laughs> Yo, leave, leave the bracelet out of this. There's no concerts or festivals this weekend. Come on. <laughs> what would you, what would, or at least oh, what, would, what, comes, what comes to mind? Um, Actually, I, I want to ask you, um, so the G-Wagon. The G? Um, would it be better to pay it off in full or finance? Finance. Finance, okay. Why, is the next question. Uh, potential tax write-off. Well, whether you pay for it in full or you pay for, uh, with the down payment, you're gonna be able to write off 100% of the purchase price. So why not leverage the other $200,000 and put that into the market okay. or start another investment? All right, and, um, so this is only when you buy. You can't do this when you lease, right? Depreciate when you buy, correct. Okay, mm -hmm. all right, makes sense. But you can lease the car to your corporation and then depreciate it, personally. Okay. So let's just say you bought the car, yeah. and then you leased it to your corporation, you personally can depreciate it. Okay, mm -hmm. which one is better? I would rather purchase the car and then depreciate it underneath the business. Purchase the car yourself mm -hmm. and lease it out to you. No, I would purchase the, the car underneath my business and depreciate it underneath my business. Okay. But if I had already leased a car in my personal name, I can establish a leasing agreement with my corporation and lease my vehicle to my corporation for a set price. Maybe I'd look up online, how much does it cost to tour, up, tour out a car that's like a G-Wagon per day? Okay, $600, $700 a day. As long as I have comparable rents, I can establish a Ooh. leasing agreement between myself and my corporation and lease my car to my corporation. Okay. Makes sense? Okay, makes sense. So what if I wanted to get a car that wasn't over 6,000 pounds? Okay. What would be the best way to reduce taxes on that? Yeah, so if you have a car that weighs less than 6,000 pounds, the government's only going to allow for you to write off uh, about 18,350, give or take a couple hundred bucks. So that's the max that you can depreciate in the first year. Anything else, whichever the car value is left over, is going to be written off over the course of five years or the remaining four years that you have. Okay. So if you want a new car, look at whether or not the car that you want like is over 6,000 pounds or not because choosing a car that's gonna be over 6,000 pounds is gonna provide a much better tax benefit this year knowing that the bonus depreciation is going down. All right, makes sense, makes sense. Because these are deductions we can't get back. We don't know if we're gonna have someone who comes into office and says, okay, you know what, let's keep bonus depreciation moving forward into the future. We don't know that. So we have to make decisions based off of what we do know. And right now we know 
179 is in place. We can buy a vehicle that weighs over 6,000 pounds, right off 100% of this purchase price. Let's go ahead and take advantage of saving money now, knowing that I can make more money right now since I save money now. Mm. Okay. What car do you like that's over 6,000 pounds? <sighs> Me and Charlie, every every morning we go to the gym, I tell Charlie, Charlie, what's the car that I like am in love with? I'm like, dude, I can't take this out of my head. Like one day, one day I'll pull the trigger on it. But right now, mm -mm. what's the car? Yours? Yours. 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 You gotta say it with some energy, bro. Yours. 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 That's how I say it. Yours. I love the Yours, bro. The Yours is over 6,000 pounds. It's sexy. It's fast. It's got like the sports car vibe to it. I like it. What about you guys? Not my taste. Not my I can see you in a Colonan. We can 179 a Colonan. Yeah, that was a 400k though, huh? We can once we did that for one of my, my one of my clients. We 179 a Colonan. <laughs> Rode off the entire purchase price of a Rolls Royce Colonan. Dang. And it was a fully loaded Colonan too. It had orange interior. It was black on the outside. It was sick. Mm-hmm. He's already like telling me, Carlton, I want to buy the new Colonan. <laughs> oh geez, here we go. So you could definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Luxury vehicles have a a luxury vehicle limit. So there are a certain amount of cars that are considered luxury vehicles, and the government won't allow for you to write off more than around like 13 or 14,000 on a luxury vehicle. So if you go get a Ferrari like Charlie has, or a Lamborghini like Brian has, like they're limited on how much they can depreciate in the first year. I would just get a G-Wagon. Mm -hmm. I think they're sweet. So are we, are we saying this now? Is this on camera? Well, I don't know. I don't know, it, I don't know if it makes sense, but... Uh... We gotta run the numbers. Well, because what, what you numbers? would do, what you would do first is you would say, okay, based on all the businesses I have, here are all the strategies I qualify for before I go spend money. Right. Here are right. all the things I can and do without without even best, spending money. And then choose the best strategy for that. Yeah. Yes. Like once you leverage everything that you can leverage without spending money, then you go down the road of actually having to spend money. Like, all right, I already did the Augusta rule, I already set up a management company, I already, you know, writing off my children, I already taking a home office, I'm already doing a retirement strategy. You've already leveraged all of these strategies here. Now you can go spend the money and say, mm -hmm. let me wipe out the rest of my taxes with the G Wagon, or let me go wipe out the rest of my taxes with an investment property that I can manage. Got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So in this period that we're in right now, why do you guys feel like content creation is super, 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 super duper important for the everyday average entrepreneur? Right now, being where we're at in the recession, people are worried about where their next meal is gonna come from. There's been economic constraint. Why is content important? Uh, the way I look at it is in this world, it doesn't matter how good you are if no one knows who you are. That's why Jake, Jake Paul makes the most money in boxing. He's not the best boxer, but the most people know him. Most mm. people, uh, he has the most viewers, the most mm -hmm. eyeballs. What is something that you guys have learned about Jake Paul and Logan Paul that you guys are using in your own content or in your own businesses? Um, Logan's done a good job of uh, jumping on a trend, and when the trend dies, he moves to another one. Uh, most YouTubers, for example, uh, they find success in one trend after a few years it dies, and then they kind of just drop off. So they've done a really good job of longevity and just like staying in the game and just constantly innovating. What do you, what do you think is the key to like changing up your content? Does it mean all of a sudden you'd start, you know, using different lights in your videos, you film at a different angle? Like what is it about changing up your content that keeps videos ex like, like exciting? Cause like some people see Mr. Beast and like he's coming up with all these crazy ideas but to the average entrepreneur, they're like, dude, how could I possibly do mm -hmm. something of that magnitude? So how do you spice up your content or switch your content to keep your audience new? And maybe you could talk about that, Charlie, because I know you're doing some new things with your content lately. I don't think I'm the best person to talk about that. But I think um, storytelling, 
like having high emotions and then low emotions and like playing like that helps pe uh, keep people engaged. Um, for me, it's like I, I watch a lot of content, but I don't watch it just for entertainment. I watch it thinking like, how can I take this concept and maybe like do something similar to it, but relate to personal finance or yeah. entrepreneurship. Um, so that's how I've come up with a lot of my ideas, just doing that. Nice. Yeah. So are, always testing. Who are the top people to study in the financial space that have helped you with your content? Other than Graham Stephan, would you say are the top people in the financial space? Humphrey? Yes. Salton? Easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Humphrey, you kill it. With, with your platform that you started off with TikTok, how has that changed like the way in which you've been able to scale versus people who just go to YouTube? Yeah, so I think, you know, for, initially I tried to make YouTube videos and they didn't really go anywhere. And so I kind of had to leverage a new platform to kind of get my start on YouTube. And I'm still trying to gain trust and audience on YouTube from the transition from TikTok and it's tough. Um, sorry, the question was... No, I was just saying like, how have you been able to scale when other people start off on YouTube and you started out on TikTok? So oh, from scalability yeah. wise, YouTube can take a while, whereas mm -hmm. TikTok, I've seen some people you know, within a week or two weeks, they already have like 100,000 subscribers. How has that been different? Yeah, I would say that early on in my TikTok life, I knew that I wanted to do YouTube as well or that YouTube was like the end game. So like I started a YouTube channel as quickly as possible, even though there are many TikTok channels that have one to two million, three million, five million followers that haven't started their YouTube yet. So I prioritized it early on. I've kind of been doing both early on and just putting out a lot of content, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. And I still don't think I've found like the best format yet, but still trying stuff, so. Why do you guys feel like YouTube is so important for people to do? I think it has the most loyal and engaged audience because you're spending so much time with that creator mm -hmm. that, you know, it takes a long time to build a connection with someone and especially a parasocial connection. You can't really do that with 30 second flicks. Like you can, but it would take many more 30 second flicks than just like one good YouTube video would do. Yeah. And so after someone's watched you for like 50 minutes, like that's a long time. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's usually what, what I've noticed when I subscribe to a channel yeah. is if I watch three or four videos, I'm like, oh, I like this guy or I like this girl. Um, maybe a girl a little shorter because you know, they could be really cute and you would just subscribe off the bat. But you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> cut that. But, uh, <laughs> to cut but, that. But, but anyway, yeah. So basically what I'm saying is it, it takes a little bit of time to get used to the creator. Yeah. And um, what I've noticed is, yeah, four videos, then I'll subscribe usually four. if I like what they're about. Yeah. So four videos and you'll end up subscribing. What do you think is like... Less at those girls. Less girls. Are you subscribing Possibly. to mainly girls? Is no, that, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> we'll check in on that. <laughs> we'll, we'll check. My, we'll, we'll check on free. Check my subscription feed later. So why do you guys think that most people need YouTube? Like you should start a YouTube if you're thinking about going into entrepreneurship or you don't think it's important? I mean, like for any business owner, I think the biggest problem is how do you get more clients or whatever, right? Business. And uh, YouTube is, I still think it's a pretty untapped market compared to many other types of like advertising. Yeah. And we talked about like how it builds personal connection. You just get this like really great organic source of traffic that trusts you already um, because you can like, you can make connections with people at scale, right? Like using the internet, you don't need to have a thousand one-on-one -on -one conversations. You can just have one conversation on camera and then a thousand people will see it, right? So it's like leveraged. I love that you said that because I created my YouTube channel actually to solve a problem that, I, that was coming up. So many people were asking me, what's the difference between an LLC and an S-Corp? And 
I didn't have something I could send them to, so I had to take that conversation every single day, nine, 10 phone calls a day, all asking the same question. I created one YouTube video, it solved a huge problem, and it established a connection with all these people that were looking to get that problem solved as well. So I appreciate that answer. Question to you, Jake, is what do you think holds people back from scaling their YouTube channels? I have a lot of buddies who started YouTube, they can't seem to crack a thousand followers, a thousand subscribers, even 10,000. So what do you think holds them back from being able to scale their YouTube? From zero to 100K subs, um, it took me like four years. It was not like a short journey. And that was across like two different uh, tries at YouTube, two different channels. And the problem I had when I first started, I was like 16, 17 in high school. And I would just keep making the same video over and over again with the assumption that, you know, eventually I would just blow up, you know, if you're consistent. Like mm -hmm. everyone says, like the number one tip you ask, uh, you hear when people say like, what's your number one tip for YouTube? Consistency. But mm -hmm. if you just have consistency, you can make the same bad video consistently and it will always be bad. So consistency is not the only thing. Right. So there's obviously something else missing there. So the other key, the other factor that you need along with consistency, like putting out like one video a week or whatever, or however many it is, is you actually have to innovate um, because most people uh, especially like business owners, like most business owners who find success in their business, you know, they went, they looked at the market, they came up with a better solution than what was being offered, and that's how their business grew. But for some reason, when they go into YouTube, they just think, oh, I'll just make the same video everyone else is making, and it will work. Mm -hmm. They don't go in with the same mindset. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you should, you should treat it exactly like a business. Uh, you look at the landscape of the marketplace of whatever content you're trying to make, and then. You find a way to innovate. You find a gap in the marketplace to make videos for. Instead of just going in blindly and just, you know, if I just make a thousand videos, eventually I'll just blow up. Mm -hmm. So that is like my that. advice. So I love that advice too, because it's not just about consistency. I've had a lot of friends who have consistently been on Instagram, consistently been on mm -hmm. uh, Twitter, and they're consistently at the same place, right? So there's something that you have to do differently to see a change. And I think that's the, the part that you're talking about. Yeah, um, you know, the reason, part of the reason why you hear the advice consistency all the time is because most people need to hear that, like they just need to get started because, or else they just will never pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. But once you actually get past that point where you make your first video, then it's about constantly trying out new video ideas, new video formats, like completely different angles from what you're doing right now until you find something that hits. Mm -hmm. Because no matter how many times uh, you put out a bad video, it's still gonna be a bad video. Mm -hmm. So you have to like constantly try new stuff until something hits. And not be afraid of trying new stuff. Cause some people like, th they see their views go down if they try something new, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. like that could be a really, and then, then they just go right back to what they do because they're like, well, that one did worse. So I'm just gonna go back to what was kind of working, but yeah. maybe what was kind of working was not, it's not their end game, right? Yeah. Like the end game could be something way better if they kept trying stuff. Is that what you're saying, Jake? Yeah, yeah, you should keep trying stuff until you hit on something that goes viral mm -hmm. and you, you just repeat that and constantly iterate and, and improve on that. I like that. I like that too. It reminds me of like, <clears throat> you know, hearing speeches from like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, and like all these greats who have already accomplished so much in life. But when you hear them talk about like success or how to get to success, they're saying very simple things like work hard stay consistent, yeah. show up every single day. But when you peel back the layers of it, 
it is working hard and then choosing to work hard in different areas. It is being consistent and then consistently trying new things. So those root things that you just said are the root things that I, I see in other entrepreneurs or other uh, like-minded people who have found success as well. And so when you hear that, like work hard, don't give up, these basic little action items that seem basic to you, they're really the core to how most successful people have found success they're not changing what is true that has worked over time and time and time and time again. So when your school teacher tells you at first grade or your school teacher tells you, try harder, go longer, don't give up, those things resonate with some of the most successful people, the Michael Jordans, the Elon Musk, those people like yourself who have done really big things in this world. One last question I'll ask you guys. If you had your business stripped away from you all your YouTube subscribers stripped away from you, all your TikTok subscribers and YouTube subscribers stripped away from you, what would you do right now to get yourself back to a place of making income or what would you focus on that would fulfill you? I would just make a new channel. I would just keep trying out new, new stuff, trying to find a sub niche that fits me and uh, that takes off and just uh, repeat it. Why not go into something else if YouTube was so hard for you to get to where you're at now? It took you four years to get to 100,000 subscribers. Why not try something different? What is it about YouTube that keeps you there? Uh, well, I know what to do now, uh, so I wouldn't make the same mistakes. So I, I would be able to grow a lot faster now, I firmly believe. Um, and it's just my favorite business. Like, There's nothing about this business that I don't like even with all the hate and stuff like that, I still love it. What is the things that you wish you could have done differently creating your YouTube channel? Um, I wish I would have just uh, kept trying new stuff until I hit on something because again, in the beginning, I had a different channel before this channel and I went for like one or two years straight making literally the exact same videos over and over again because I just really bought into that belief that you know, if I'm just consistent, I'll just eventually blow up. Yeah. Uh, so I wish I would have just tried a bunch of new stuff all the time. Like every single video is completely different yeah. until something caught on. Wait, can we link that below the channel? No. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta link that below. <laughs> someone find it. And what um, about you, Charlie? What would you have done differently? If someone took your YouTube channel away from you right now and said, you don't have the 700 and, I think we're at 774, 770 some thousand subscribers that you have right now. What would you do and how would you find success? I would do a service-based side hustle. Like I'd take a high value skill. I would do it for clients to make cash flow. Kind of like consulting? Yeah, that or tutoring or photography or something. Yeah. Just like what I did before. And while I was doing that, I'd be able to pay my bills and then I would start another YouTube channel and, and do the same thing. So you'd be like hitting the reset button for you. You'd go back to a side hustle that's a high income skill and then use the money to cover bills and while you're working on creating another YouTube yeah, channel. Yeah, because YouTube takes a while to monetize, so. But why would you guys all say that, you know, doing it all over again, you would still want YouTube? What is it about YouTube that gives you guys the lifestyle that you love right now? Well, you know, it's, it's all about scale, right? So like software scales really well. You can make one piece, one app, and you can sell it 100,000 times. YouTube, you make one video, scales 100,000 times. Same thing with making music. So it's all about scale, and that's probably why we all chose this profession is because we saw the power of like one to many. And you yeah. can't really do that if you're doing, for example, I flipped couches like a month ago. Yeah. How many couches can I flip in one day? I can flip mm -hmm. maybe one or two. I can't yeah. flip a thousand, yeah. but I can get a thousand views or I can get a million views with the same amount of effort. So I really like the idea of 
the input kind of stays relatively the same, you know, eight to 10 hours for video, let's say. Yeah. But the output could be, it could look like this, 100 views, or it could look like this, like 10 million views, right? Wow, astronomical. There you That's go. Right. So with YouTube, you can work on a video and the video can pay you time and time and time again. Sure. But ultimately, you're gonna to have to constantly put out more YouTube videos. So at the end of this road, where do you see for your guys' selves? Do you see that your YouTube channels will grow to a place where they'll just self-sustain and give you steady income? Or do you see you guys eventually going into different types of investments or even in different career paths? Um, I have some ideas brewing in my head for different career paths. You do? But like content will always be a part of my life because uh, I just feel like I was built for this. I love it, every single aspect of it. And like I said, like, it doesn't matter how good you are in this world if no one knows who you are. So whatever I do, people would have to know. I would have to market myself. I like, you said, I like that you say that. It doesn't matter how good you are in this world if people don't know like, who you are. Like, there could, you could be the best brain surgeon. There could be millions of people who yeah. are dying from brain cancer and nobody knows who you are because you work in some small village yeah. and, the, you know, and no one knows who you are. And uh, yeah, the perfect example <laughs> I, I always fall back on is if you look in the MMA boxing world, like there are fighters out there that put their like blood, sweat, and tears. They fight like they fought like a hundred amateur fights, twenty professional fights, uh, but literally no one in the public knows who they are. Yeah. Like there's one guy, a Ukrainian fighter, uh, boxer that's like super legendary, Olympian, like a hundred amateur fights. Um, 20 or so professional fights, one of the best ever. No one knows who he is, mm -hmm. and I can't remember his name right now, <laughs> which just like emphasizes the point. Yeah. Whereas Jake Paul, uh, he's made the most money like last year. Yeah. Attention. How many fights yeah. did he have like under his belt total? Yeah. Like 10? Yeah. If that. If that. Uh, probably less than that. Probably yeah. less than that main fights. You know what's funny is like, I would pay whatever price to go see Conor McGregor fight right now again whether he wins or loses, just to see Conor McGregor fight again because of how well he has done his marketing yeah. and how much attention that he has grasped of mine and other viewers that are my friends to the point where like, I know what type of experience I'm gonna have yeah. if I go to a Conor McGregor fight or how I'm gonna feel showing up and saying I'm at a Conor McGregor fight, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I agree with you, omnipresence is so important and most entrepreneurs don't take that seriously. I think Grant Cardone was one who, who coined saying, you know, I want to be an omnipresent entrepreneur. I want people to know where I'm at. I want to be in front of viewers at all points in time. The only way you're going to do that is if you're owning digital real estate. You're putting out content and the content's sitting out there and it's not just sitting on TikTok where someone can flip through it in less than 0 0.06 seconds, but you're also doing YouTube as well. I want it to be like super, super duper informal. And I kind of want to just ask you guys, and I'm going to, I'm going to go around the room. I want to ask you guys, what has led to your keys to success as a business owner? You can start off Humphrey. Because uh, I think you're the most experienced business owner out of all of us. But like, what has led to your keys to success as a business owner? Probably consistency every day. So like compound interest. Compound so interest. Always hitting it hard. And I mean, you don't have to hit it hard every day. You can hit it like 15 minutes a day, just like going to the gym. But mm -hmm. as long as you do it every day, you get you get a compound returns. I think a lot of people give up too early too. So that compound interest that you just said reminds me of Warren Buffett. And I feel like if Warren was in the room right now his answer would probably mimic your answer to a T. Yeah, it would probably be pretty similar, I suppose. So then who do you look up to when it comes to like entrepreneurship, business, like who keeps you inspired? Mm. 
Well, for me, since I'm doing YouTube right now, the people that inspire me are like the ones that have been around for like 10 years and they're still making videos like every week or every other week, like Marquez Brownlee. That guy still makes two tech videos a week or one or two tech videos every yeah. now and then. And he's, he continues to try to get better. So I think that's pretty inspiring. Yeah. It kind of shows you that you don't need like super viral hits. You just need to be consistent over time. Dang. So obviously early on, you know, in business, mm -hmm. you were following certain people. But now that where you're at, has your mentors changed or the people who you watch change? Do you feel like you kind of outgrew certain people or no? Yeah, I would say <laughs> I watch a larger variety of people now to try to take inspiration from everybody mm -hmm. and try to figure out what works for me and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, in terms of mentors, I probably have the same mentors. I try to reach out to, to more and more people, just learn from them, learn a lot from Charlie, Jake, you. I copy all even you, you guys, yeah, man. You, like it's good to just. I'll be the first, I'll be the first to say it. I literally steal beats, bits and pieces from each one of you guys. Do you, do you feel like that's like a bad thing to do in business? Do you feel like that's something that you've done as well? Because I feel like <clears throat> in order to get where you want to go really fast, find somebody who's already done it. Yeah, I mean, early on, just like, you know, I was telling Jake earlier, I was just copying Graham Stephan. And Graham is, is probably had set the, the bar for financial YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I learn a lot by just emulating first and then figuring out what I'm good at and what I personally like and don't like and try to differentiate somehow from there. Yeah. But I definitely copy. Yeah. And it's okay to copy, I think, as long as you attribute the person. So like, for example, I copied like a Ryan Trahan thumbnail for my couch flipping video. Uh. And, you know, <laughs> I, I told him like, hey, I just copied your thumbnail. And he's like, oh, I don't care. Yeah. Like, as long as I put thumbnails out, you can feel free to get inspired by it. And I like that attitude. I have the same attitude. Like if somebody wants to copy my content, go for it. Yeah. Because you're, they're putting their own spin on it. As long as it's not like word for word or something like that. And that's why I like how uh, Instagram started allowing people to do the remix of the reels, mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, like I love the way this person spoke this. Let me put myself side by side and record a little video, like doing something very similar. Is that how you guys got started in content, Charlie? Was there somebody who you were motivated, followed and decided to do side hustles and put videos out? Or was it just like one day, I'm just gonna start creating content out of thin air? I mean, I think, yeah. Uh, first person I ever watched was Graham Stephan. So that was a big like, I think how long has he, like been, how long has he been on fans. YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> how long has Graham Stefan been on YouTube? Because I didn't know Graham Stefan until you introduced me to Graham Stefan. And that was when like I was like, oh wow, there's other people out on like YouTube teaching finance stuff. And like they didn't go to school for finance, but like they know so much about finance. Like this is sick. I think he started what, 2016, 2017? Jake, Probably. do you know? I don't know. Probably around there. Yeah. Dude, I was so nervous meeting Graham. <laughs> when we were at the I the event like I was in LA. Shaking. Uh yeah, at Vid Summit. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I've, I've like seen this stuff for so long. You get this like parasocial like uh, yeah. relationship thing with, with people that yeah. you watch. And I don't know. I was kind of like that when I first ran into Mike Rashid, uh. right at the gym. Cause like I had been watching Mike ever since I was in uh, college, like training to get ready for football. And like Mike was a bodybuilder. So I would watch his like videos to get inspiration. And one day I ran into him at Equinox and I just froze. I was like, dang. I didn't have nothing there to say, but it was still cool being able to run into him. But I mean, what happened when you ran into Graham? Did you freeze or did you were you able to talk? I think I talked. Yeah. yeah. I was just nervous. Yeah. But that's a little bit about, um, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone because yeah. someone would say it'd be very nervous meeting Charlie Chang in person based off of all the stuff that you've done in the audience that you've been able to build. Maybe. <laughs> I, I agree. There's people, people that come up, there's people that come up to you all the time in the gym at Equinox like, 
Are you Charlie Changer? Charlie, I watch your videos, dude. Like, you're so <laughs> inspirational. That happens all the time. Uh, and doesn't that happen to you, too? Yeah, fairly often. Mm -hmm. Fairly often. Jake gets recognized a lot. For having, like, a more faceless channel style, like, Jake gets recognized so much. Do you think it's just the hair? <laughs> I mean, he has, like, a lot of, like, fans. That is, uh, that's definitely, it, pl it plays a role. So, we all do different types of content. All of us are talking about finance. Why have you chosen to take yourself off of camera um, rather than showing up on camera and, and talking? What was it about the your style? Yeah, a few different reasons. One, everyone else in the business niche was doing uh, on-camera A-roll stuff, so it was harder to stand out. And I enjoy videos with B-roll and like animations and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was just a, a type of video that I enjoyed. And I believe that B-roll animations is inherently more interesting to watch than a person talking. Uh, you still get other benefits from being on camera, like they build more of a personal connection with you, but that's the route I chose. Mm -hmm. I like that. So being the fact that you're doing like more B-roll from a scalability wise, do you feel like it's easier to scale when you're off camera or is it better to scale when you're on camera? Definitely off camera. Definitely off camera. Okay. okay. I like that opinion. So my next question I want to ask is when did taxes become important to you guys? Like, was it the first year you started out in business? Was it once you hit six figures? Like when did it become like something that you guys were like, I got to get on the internet and start researching like how to figure out how to mitigate this? Um, my first tax bill. Yeah. <laughs> describe, describe that. Where, uh, I just like wasn't fa fa I didn't do any preparation the year before, so I uh, just got hit with a big bill and lit a fire under my ass. <laughs> so what did you do? What did you do the following year? Um, I got a referral from my friend who has a really good accountant. That was partially the reason why I bought my parents a house. It would just be good for taxes. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Claim an investment property. Okay, I like that. What about you, Charlie? When, Dude, did ta when did taxes become? When I met you. For me? Yeah. No, no, when I, when I met you. Oh, when you met yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> Dang. I met Carlton in 2020, right? Yeah, it was during, right before COVID. Wow. Like right when it, it was about it was, to start. I, I thought I feel it was like you guys COVID. have known each other for a long time, but. It might have, yeah, it might have already been COVID because you were walking like around years. in sandals and flip flops and I'm like getting dressed to sit in front of like a, a Zoom video call. So yeah, I think it was right at the start of COVID. Like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> I was like, dude, he's, he's headed out to the barbecue pits at like 11 o'clock to cook chicken. And I'm like, I have a Zoom call in like 10 minutes. I'm putting on a suit. And I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. No, but like um, just talking to you. So that's, that's why I feel like network is so important. Mm -hmm. And you were, you were talking to me about taxes. I was talking to you about YouTube. And like that's when I was like, ooh, there's so much stuff you can do with taxes. You can get more aggressive. You can, you know, finesse the IRS. Legally, legally, legally finesse the IRS. Legally, yeah. keyword legally. Let's make sure it's here can, on can the you video. Say that again, Charlie? <laughs> uh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> uh, what about I you? have a question for you. So, yeah. uh, Charlie told you about YouTube. So, uh, I've talked to a lot of small business owners yeah. that are like interested in YouTube, but they usually never take action. Yeah. So, what made it? What actually made you take action and like make the jump and start making Ooh. videos? That's a good question. So for, for most small business owners, they yeah. know nothing about social media and the idea of making videos is very intimidating to them. Yeah. So yeah. What was it for you? So I fell in love with social media when Instagram first came out. I'll be honest. Like I was like one of the only friends telling my other friends they need to get on Instagram. I know that makes me kind of feel a little bit old in this setting, but I remember telling people like, bro, get on Instagram. I can post photos there. 
And so when I transitioned out of college, I was uh, doing fitness. And the only way you're going to get customers in the fitness space is if people like see your body or know who you're training and can see the results that are coming from it. So at the time I was posting on Facebook and then Instagram was starting to pick up. And I realized, dude, I'm not making a whole lot of money with fitness. So I jumped into my mother's firm to earn some more side cash. And my mother was on news, radio, and TV. And I was like, dang, I was like, I wonder if there's people on social media that are like talking tax stuff. And I did some research and it's just like a bunch of like old attorneys and like doctors and all their videos were super boring. So the one thing that got me to actually jump out of my comfort zone was when I was talking to Charlie, he was like, bro, he's like some of the stuff that you were doing back then when you were in the fitness space, why not do the exact same thing just in the tax space and then just make the videos that much longer rather than just teaching one little tip or two little tips over here, give like 10 tips or a whole process on how to do something. And I promise you, if you share the information that you don't normally share, people will come to you. And that was the biggest key, is most people don't get out and do content or wanna share content because they're afraid of giving away the information that is what is used to sell and do business. But yeah. if you give that information away, just like anything else, people are not gonna know how to do it themselves or they're gonna want it done for them. Yeah. And that's what ended up leading to my business growing and me putting out more content. Okay, uh, how, how soon did YouTube start contributing to your tax business? I would say the first month I had 300 subscribers, the second month we went to like 1,000 subscribers, and then by the third month we were hitting 100,000 subscribers. So In three uh, months? In three months we hit 100,000 subscribers. Oh, wow. So um, it's definitely done like multiple seven figures oh, having wow. a YouTube channel, like without a doubt, multiple seven figures. So just people viewing your content and then reaching out to your company? Yeah. Viewing my content, reaching out to my company, sponsorship deals, affiliate deals, business partnerships that have come from it. Um, it's all come from social media, YouTube, and then the monetization of it. Okay, one more question. Uh, how many, like uh, a percentage of the customers in your tax business, Yeah. how many of them come from YouTube? I would say a good amount, I would say at least 60% of the customers who work in our firm come from YouTube because every time they get on the phone with my tax team, they'll be like, oh, I saw one of Carlton's videos. Oh, wow. And I wanna do this. And so they're sending videos that I've created to my staff being like, I wanna make sure I get this strategy too. Like, hey, by the way, can we also get this one? Carlton just released this video. I don't know anything about placing my children on payroll. Can I have that too? So that is like super, super cool because the customers who are working with my, my company, they're like being sold while they're still doing work with us. Yeah. On the stuff that we're putting out. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, it was good because it gives me like feedback too because for the customers who are contacting me or contacting my firm and letting them know like, hey, we really like this video where Carlton was telling us how to pay ourselves as LLCs or we really like this video on the difference between a C Corp versus an S Corp, that gives me feedback on what I need to put out more of, right? Because I look at content like digital real estate, who has already put out a video that's talking about this topic and who has done it really well because that video is gonna sit on the internet and people are gonna click on it and wanna know that information. Yeah. So I wanna take up as much real estate on the internet as I possibly can um, to really kind of dominate the marketplace. Okay, do you know the conversion rate from like, you get 100K views and then like, N percent of them become customers? Like, do you know that conversion rate? <sighs> I've never done the math from one particular video because I didn't create separate links for yeah. those videos. But I know 
without a doubt, the amount of leads that come in every single week from the constantly putting out two videos is in excess of 250 to 300 leads every single week that are wow. trying to schedule on our calendar. Holy shit. But we don't have the amount of space to schedule on our calendar. We only schedule 100 appointments a week. And then from those 100 appointments, my team comes in and will slash at least half of them that don't fit the criteria to work with our firm. So we really are only having about 50 solid appointments a week Whoa. where there's like 300 to 400 that want to schedule. And that's just because we only have so many CPAs, so many tax yeah. accounts, we can only work with so many people. Yeah, so 50 appointments and you pay like no marketing spend pretty much. No, no, no marketing spend yeah. whatsoever. I don't, I don't have to spend on ads unless I want to spend on ads. Yeah. I am a believer in spending money on ads, just like I'm a believer in sitting in front of the Super Bowl and watching the halftime show. So I 100% believe in spending money on ads, but I also believe in having an organic approach and the organic was what I built up first before I went to paid. Yeah, I think what's really cool is that uh, you get 50 super, super qualified appointments, not just like leads, but like booked on your calendar. And your videos like, in the grand scheme of YouTube, they don't get many views. Mm -hmm. uh, like, it's a very like manageable number, like not yeah. like millions of views. No, no, yeah. because my stuff is super niche, yeah. where I'm not talking about like, you know, controversies happening, you know, Biden sneezed today and fell down the stairs. Like, <laughs> I'm not talking about random stuff. I'm like, dude, how do you save money with an S Corp? How yeah. do you save money with an LLC? When do you place yourself on payroll? How much do you pay yourself? Yeah. So if you're somebody that really needs fast knowledge done right, correct, you're gonna run into my channel and you're probably gonna take action from my videos because others have done so too. Yeah, and the only people that are gonna search like how to set up an S Corp or whatever, they're like super in the market. Of for, being a business like, owner, yeah. Yeah, for like tax services or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and it works out really well because the tax code is 82,450 odd number of pages deep. But of that tax code, 80,000 of the tax code is meant for business owners and entrepreneurs. Only 2,500 or more pages are dedicated to the, to the wage earner, the W-2 employee. So the content that we put out is to incentivize W-2 taxpayers to become business owners or investors. And the content I put out specifically targets business owners who want to reduce their overall tax bill. Mm. So when it comes to your guys' like income levels constantly growing, what are the things that you guys are doing right now to mitigate your taxes, if any? What are the things that come to your mind? Actually, I'll be candid. I don't have any good strategies, so I'd love to learn from you. Yeah. Because you know, one of the strategies I was thinking about doing this year was per perhaps like getting an investment property to help depreciate against my income. Yeah. But I didn't feel like pulling the trigger. I don't know why. You know, market timing stuff like that. So I I definitely need different tax shelters. I don't really have any besides employees and yeah. like writing off things that I might need for the office, like mm. a new computer or you know chairs or whatever. And I I like that you said that because some people who come to me they're like okay. What are tax strategies? And I have to let them know, tax strategies aren't just about buying deductions, right? Because right? yes, we can buy a vehicle that weighs over 6,000 pounds, and yes, we can buy more laptops, computers, and cell phones, and stuff like that, but tax strategies aren't always about spending money, it's about sheltering income. Mm -hmm. And I can shelter income if you go and get an investment property and manage it to a certain capacity. Mm -hmm. Yes, it requires you to take on another role, but if you manage it to a certain capacity, then you do get that depreciation that you were talking about, and then it just offsets the other income that you have coming over from your businesses. Then we are in this whole real estate game where we're trying to figure out how much real estate do we buy every mm -hmm. single year. And so I like starting this with young entrepreneurs who can understand depreciation, because if I can get them to buy real estate right now, we can constantly make more money on the business side or the W-2 side, or even as a day trader, whatever it is, and as we build our real estate portfolio, it constantly takes down the tax from the business's income at the mm -hmm, exact same mm -hmm. time. By the time you look up and things get slowed down with business, you're sitting on a bunch of investment properties that are paying you cash flow without any tax. 
Cool. Let's talk off screen. This will be good. Yeah. What about you, Charlie? You've done tax planning with me before in the past. So what are some of the things that you can say that well, have helped you with reducing your overall tax? Well, Charles just got a brand new car, a brand new SUV. Yep. Over, yep. Oh, congrats. 6,000 pounds. Yes. What'd you get? Uh, Range Rover. Nice. Oh, we got the range. Huh? What kind of range? You haven't seen it yet? Wait. Big, big body, wide body, limited edition. I, I drove you in it. No, I never been in it. <laughs> what? Uh, I haven't drove in it yet. Okay. Yeah, you haven't. Um, it's a Range Rover full-size SV autobiography. 2019. What color? That is Black. over 6,000 pounds, too, which means you can 179 that. It's very big. It's What's the difference between gross vehicle weight rating and the gross pounds? So gross vehicle weight rating is like this statistic that says if you're next to a curb or um, in a certain zone, like a school zone, there's a, a certain weight that your vehicle could have that's different than the weight that comes when it's taken off of the auto body track. So if I go down to Ford or Jeep or whoever and I get a vehicle that weighs over 6,000 pounds or I get a vehicle that I thought was gonna weigh over 6,000 pounds, maybe it's only 5,500 pounds mm -hmm. physically, but the gross vehicle weight is actually 6,200. That means when all parties are sitting in the vehicle or when you have equipment in the vehicle, uh, yeah, it's yes, over that certain amount of weight, yeah. So then it qualifies for the, the 179, 179 vehicle deduction. So there's some cars that you'll see that are like 4,800 weight or 5,000 5, weight, but they're really, their gross vehicle weight is over that 6,000 pounds. So you always want to check the list. Yep. And uh, is, that is, that, is that going out the window next year? Is it going to 80% next year instead of 100% de deduction? So the vehicle deduction is going from 100% where you can write off a car that you know, weighs over 6,000 pounds all in one year, yep. 100% to 80% the following year. So if I go get a, uh, a G wagon, that's a hundred grand, let's just say, yeah. I'm only going to be able to write off 80,000 next year, hundred thousand this year, if I buy it this year. Now, the one thing that people have to understand is a lot of people are buying Teslas right now. A lot of people are buying like Tesla model X's, um, or G wagons. If you're buying one of these cars from Mercedes, or if you're buying one of these cars from Tesla, check the delivery date, because if you don't get the car delivered in the year, and you don't physically drive it mm -hmm. and make a business trip, mm -hmm. it's not considered a business vehicle in Got the it. year because it wasn't placed in business service. So even though you've already made the payment for it, I can't write the car off until the following year, which mm. is a bummer to a lot of business owners who have already made that purchase. Cool. Mm -hmm. Which is a lot of people that do that because they'll see something online that says, oh, I buy a vehicle that weighs over 6,000 pounds. It gets written off in, in the first year. They go and make the purchase and then find out later, oh, it's not gonna be delivered until February, 2023. And then come tax time, they're like, wow. You didn't get that deduction. They didn't get the deduction and they're baffled. Like, guys, absolutely amazing. Appreciate all of you. Great content, great stuff. Love it. Thanks for having us on. Subscribe. Peace. Bye. Evade taxes legally.